Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, on the 18th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks... A material scientist asks, where did the towers go? Yeah, I was in the faculty conference room and looking at the TV set of the building, you know, frothing up into dust, and they're calling it a collapse. And they're like, wait a minute, yeah, you guys aren't buying this, are you? It's, it's, there's something wrong with the story. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the Star Chamber. $20 a month is the Whistleblower Tier. And a donation of just $10 per month makes you a Truth Seeker. Star Chamber and Whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me. And all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor... Go to patreon.com 
forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Hey, welcome to your Thursday. And this podcast is coming to you a day early, obviously. I decided to make it a special bonus episode. So I will have another episode for you tomorrow, Friday. We just marked the 18th anniversary of 9-11 yesterday. And at that time, I was working at CFRB Radio in Toronto, newly married. I remember my new bride and I were just shy of our first wedding anniversary, and we had painted the top two floors of our townhouse, and we were sleeping in the basement to avoid breathing in the paint fumes, and we were listening to Howard Stern. We were big fans. His program was broadcast on one of the local FM stations for a time, and his sidekick and news anchor, Robin Quivers, I think it was, uh, noticed looking out the window there was smoke coming out from lower Manhattan, and then, of course, confirmation of a plane having hit the North Tower at about a quarter to nine, and then the South Tower about 20 minutes later, and I remember we were just lying there on the uh, basement floor in our sleeping bags in the dark, listening to Howard Stern, and he and Robin, and I believe it was Jackie Martling and Stuttering John and the whole gang, uh, Gary Delabati, um, a.k.a. Baba Booey, they did such an amazing job covering what was to be the story of this new century. And then the mighty Aphrodite and I drove into work, and I was working, as I say, at CFRB, and she was a producer on a television talk show on CTV called Open Mic. And we drove downtown together in stunned silence, listening to the radio. Uh, By this time, another plane, we were told, slammed into the Pentagon. Both the North and South Towers had collapsed. The casualty numbers were unknown but estimated to be in the thousands, and we weren't sure what was going to happen next. Was this the start of World War III? We didn't know. Now, I wasn't around for the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, when we were probably just minutes from a nuclear war with the Soviets. And people who lived through that will tell you they thought it was the end. And I I remember interviewing a gentleman who was living in L.A. back in the early 60s, and he said that During the Cuban Missile Crisis, they were listening to the radio and they actually, at one point, pulled their car, stopped their car in the middle of Santa Monica Boulevard as they listened to the radio and they hugged each other and said their goodbyes. They thought they were about to die. And I can't say it felt like that exactly. We were mainly just stunned and we were thinking about getting into work and what needed to be done and so forth. For years after, on my radio program, I dedicated an enormous amount of time covering the unanswered questions on 9-11. Loads of speculation, a lot of wrong turns and dead ends in retrospect, but at least some of us at that time had at least a modicum of intellectual curiosity. How does supposed hijacker Mohammed Ada's passport uh, wind up two blocks from the Twin Towers in pristine condition? That sort of thing. Uh, Truth be told, I got burned out and disillusioned by the whole 9-11 story, certain aspects of the investigation became like a religion. So, for example, if you didn't believe in controlled demolition, you became a pariah, a disinfo agent. 
so much infighting and there was some anti-Semitic nonsense thrown in there too. So I just stopped talking about it for a while. And I almost let this year go by without talking about it. But then I thought, no, it's time to revisit. So I started searching through my interviews and I found this one. It's, it's pretty recent actually. Probably one of the more recent conversations I've had on the subject. It's from September 11th, 2016 with Dr. Judy Wood who caused, I might say, quite a shite storm within the 9-11 truther movement with her 2010 book, Where Did the Towers Go?, in which she, a material scientist and engineer, makes her case for the use of a directed energy weapon to bring down the WTC buildings, North South Tower Building 7 and others. Here's how that conversation sounded. Now, whatever you think happened on that day, you have to agree that there are so many questions that remain unanswered as to how the greatest air defense system in the history of mankind was somehow circumvented, exactly who was involved. Uh, so many questions, perhaps chief among them, how were the World Trade Center towers brought down? The World Trade Center buildings, Building 7 and others, it wasn't just the North and South Towers, remember. Was it the impact of, of the jetliners and, and the heat generated from the jet fuel? that caused some sort of a structural failure. That's sort of the official version. Uh, but was it, is it possible there was something else involved, some other technology perhaps? And uh, it's a great pleasure to have. It's been quite a while since I've had Dr. Judy Wood on the program. She's uh, uh, a Ph.D., a degree from Virginia Tech, a former professor of mechanical engineering. She's researched expertise in experimental stress analysis, structural mechanics, uh, deformation analysis, materials characterization, and materials engineering science. Her research has involved testing materials, including complex material systems, in the area of photomechanics, or the use of optical and image analysis methods, to determine physical properties of materials and measure how materials respond to forces placed on them. Her area of expertise involves inferometry in forensic science, uh, she taught graduate and undergraduate engineering classes and, and has authored or co-authored over 60 peer-reviewed papers and journal publications in her areas of expertise. In the time since 9-11, she has applied her expertise in material science, image analysis, uh, as I mentioned, and uh, a forensic study of over 40,000 images, hundreds of video clips, a large volume of witness testimony, analysis of dust samples, seismic data, and the analysis of other environmental evidence pertaining to the destruction of the World Trade Center complex. Dr. Wood has conducted a comprehensive forensic investigation of what physically happened to the World Trade Center site on 9-11, and based on her analysis of the evidence she gathered in 2007, she filed a federal case for science fraud against the contractors who contributed to the official National Institute of Standards and Technology report about the destruction of the World Trade Center towers. This case was filed in the U.S. Supreme Court in December 2009. And to this day, Dr. Wood's investigation and body of evidence is compiled in her book, Where Did the Towers Go? Evidence of Directed Free Energy Technology on 9-11. It's the only comprehensive forensic investigation in the public domain. Dr. Judy Wood, how are you? Very good. Well, thank you for having me. Now, this book obviously generated a lot of, of controversy. Uh, anytime anyone delves into 9-11 and is exploring perhaps, you know, alternative explanations rather than the official explanation, it's bound to generate controversy. But the interesting thing is, is here, even within sort of the 9-11 truther movement, 
it created such controversy. I mean, you were disavowed by uh, the 9-11 Truther movement, which I find, well, not, you know what, it's not surprising. It's such a divisive community. I mean, if you're not with them, sort of 100%, then you're against them, which is my understanding. I've, I've experienced that firsthand. But why specifically do you think, uh, even within the 9-11 Truther movement, you're such a controversial um, person? Well, I don't know if, uh, if controversial is the right uh, the right term for it. <clears throat> controversial is usually a term given uh, that implies doubt. You know, wh- whether someone is talking about facts or, or fiction. And uh, anything that I've discussed, and it's in my book as well, is just evidence, analysis of the evidence as well as parallel evidence. So if someone doesn't want you to discuss the evidence, what do they do? Distract you. It's kind of like the political uh, scene. You know, they don't want you to discuss the facts. They they say, oh, you have uh, uh, boogers up your nose or something. Right, you know, right. They, they you take it off into something unrelated to the evidence. <clears throat> but if you just talk about the evidence, if somebody really wants to know the truth, they shouldn't have a problem with it. Precisely, precisely, and yet they do, which... So what does that tell you? Well, it, it suggests a number of things. One, that the group has been infiltrated by disinformation uh, agents. Uh, I mean, that's uh, that's the one that leaps immediately to mind. Uh, and, and the other thing is, which I've come to, to realize, is that the whole control demolition theory has become almost like a religion. Now, I have a, a lot of respect for people like Dr. Richard Gage. He's been on the program, and I think he's he's doing his, his, his best to try to piece this puzzle together. But if if you suggest that it may not be controlled demolition, it's almost like you become an immediate pariah. They don't want to hear anything else. And I think it's because when people have so much um, invested in a theory, they almost become defined by it. And if you take that away from them, then who are they? What are they? And that's very threatening to them. It's almost like a self-preservation mechanism. Those are my theories. What do you think? Um, well, if you want to control the message, you know, you know that, that there are going to be people questioning the event. Do you think those who planned 9-11 forgot to plan a cover-up? <laughs> At least one. Maybe five, yeah. maybe ten. Yeah, so build it and they will come. A place for these people to be collected. I call them collection agencies. <laughs> <laughs> That's very clever, yes. And then you give them a pacifier, and it, and it keeps them out of trouble. Right, right. And the easiest way to control groups is to uh, demand consensus, you know, talking points. Right, right. And if somebody veers off from the talking points, they get uh, excommunicated from the group. That's that's a very very lucent cogent explanation. Absolutely, yeah. So if someone's trying to control your thinking, you know they want you in a group. And if you're not in a group, you it's harder to control people. Right, right. Yes. So uh, and here you come along with this uh, with with your evidence that doesn't fit that narrative, and you are a disruptor. Well, the, the first thing with the evidence, uh, is in being a forensic engineer, you first have to determine what happened. Absolutely, and absolutely. The easiest way to cover something up is to get people to skip that step and just assume what happened and go on and start arguing about how, 
it happen before you've determined what it is. Right, right. And, you know, look at the uh, official story. You know, they're down to, to step three or four. You know, you know, who did it and why they did it. They hate us for our freedoms. Right. And we should point out that that, that, that uh, your work is not focused on who did it. You know, was there a stand-down right. order? Exactly. What was the motivation? You're simply looking at physical evidence uh, based on your background in engineering uh, to explain why those structures failed the way they did. Or, or what was going on, and, and uh, you know, different types of energy could be involved. Let's let's look at them. One is, you know, like what caused the building to come apart? <clears throat> was it thermal energy? Did the bu- buildings get cooked to death? Well, you had uh, fourteen people walk out of stairway B who don't remember having been cooked to death. You know, so that that's out the window. Uh, was it kinetic energy? You know, bombs or Gravity collapse. Um, there's a lot of evidence that discards that, which is, uh, you know, people in stairway B didn't get smashed. They right. didn't get pulverized. They didn't get squished. They right. walked out. Let me ask you on a personal note. What has this meant for you as an academic uh, uh, publishing this book, Where Did the Towers Go? What is it? What does it cost you in terms of, I don't know, career, um, personally, I'm guessing that this 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 must have been a very difficult decision for you to whether to publish or not. Uh, it wasn't difficult because it needed to be done, <clears throat> and I felt like I was in the best position to do it, uh, not having a, a immediate family that would be put at risk. Somebody with an immediate family that would be put at risk would have a much tougher time. Right, right. And how about but, pr- professionally? Uh, oh, it, it it was it's a one way ticket. Out of a profession, it's it's. Um, but I don't like to play pity parties. Uh, I understand. I understand. Yeah, it's it's about the evidence, and it's it's this important. Uh, I, I will say that when I decided I was going to do this, I uh, called my mother and told her, and she said, "Well, if you do that, you won't have a career." And I said, "If I don't, nobody will." And I think that's as as time's gone on. I think uh, people can see that that is where things are going. Right. Okay. So a little bit of a primer here for those not familiar with directed free energy technology. What do we mean by that, directed free energy technology? Well, I was explaining about uh, how we can rule out kinetic energy being involved as a destructive mechanism and thermal energy. You know, the buildings weren't cooked to death, nor were they beaten to death. Like by gravity collapse or by bombs, you know, blowing things up, moving things and having something hit something else. Uh, a lot of reasons for that. You'd have people squashed instead of walking out, um, with, you know, blue sky above them. <clears throat> and also, uh, there'd be a seismic signal. There's a lot of other things with it. But what I'm describing as directed energy, the energy was instructed or directed to do something differently than it normally does. The binding forces of matter are usually attracted to each other, but they were somehow instructed to reverse their sign and repel each other. All right. And and let me ask you then, how, how did you begin to piece this together? What was the first indication for you 
uh, that this might have been a directed free energy uh, weapon of some sort? Well, I'm, I'm, I don't start with the weapon. I don't start with, with the answer and then go backwards. Uh, I start with looking at what happened. And you keep looking and, and let the evidence tell you what happened. Don't tell the evidence what it's supposed to show you. Right. Okay, so let me rephrase. What was the first indication for you, and how quickly did it come, that the official version was incorrect? There was something else happening here. Oh, it, it came that day. I was in the faculty conference room and looking at the TV set of the building, you know, frothing up into dust, and they're calling it a collapse. And they're like, wait a minute. You, know, you guys aren't buying this, are you? It's, it's you know, there's something wrong with the story. And uh, folks looked at me like I was crazy. And, and uh, w- when you say this is not a collapse, explain that. What do you mean this is not a collapse? I mean, for well, the, to, the, to the uninitiated, it looked like. like a collapse. Well, imagine what a, a collapse would look like. This piece falls into this piece. This goes concurrent. This goes, you know, pop. Kind of like how an avalanche gets going. You know, it doesn't start one, two, three all at once. One part gets another part going, which gets another part going. Right, right. Instead, we saw the building turning to dust from top to bottom. Right, being pulverized as as the building. Uh, pulverized no? has a specific meaning. It okay. Means, uh, it, it, kinetic energy is involved, a grinding. And this was pieces were flying through the air and turning into dust with with nothing hitting them but air. Hmm. And and how would you? Now, one of the things I've been told about the construction of the of the World Trade Center uh, towers uh, is, um, you know, a lot of a lot of drywall, uh, pretty flimsy construction. I've been told. This is one of the, the, the things that, that's out there that this was not a well designed building, uh, oh, and that it was, was it was uh, pretty well designed. But you have to look at again at what happened instead of. Um, Assuming it was a poor construction or assuming uh, airplanes did something to you know, instead of making assumptions, it's, it's really, it takes an awful lot of discipline to just look at what happened. Right. No, but I'm, I'm wondering, because of the amount of drywall in that building, uh, could does, that does not... Does drywall cause steel to turn into dust in midair? Right. No, excellent point. But I'm just wondering whether the... The, the the presence of all that dust in the air in part could be attributed to the fact that so much of the construction was comprised of, as I say, a gypsum, um, gypsum rock. There was a, a tremendous, there's a, about one-fifth of the total weight of the building was steel, one f- the okay. steel frame. All right. And you can see, you know, in videos, the pieces coming down and they don't ever hit the ground. They turn to dust before they hit the ground. Pieces of metal that are turning to dust. Let me just think on that for a moment and let everyone else listen and think on that. Pieces of metal, as they're descending, are turning to dust. Yes. They look like they're um, like an Alka-Seltzer tablet, just frothing up into dust. Remarkable. Okay. So people don't know what would cause that, so they they tend to uh, ignore that piece of evidence. But instead of needing to know, that's what's important about just putting off any kind of um, assumptions. Right. And just going with what the evidence shows. And not feeling the need to play name that weapon. Name that weapon. Okay. All right. I'm with you. Yeah, play spin the dial, name that weapon. Right. The name of the weapon is not important. Actually, it's counterproductive because, you know, people start getting um, trendy terms and they name drop trendy terms. Terms and pretty soon they don't even know what they're 
what the, the gizmo does. Right, and pretty, pretty soon people are imagining some sort of a laser beam with, you know, Dr. Evil uh, next to it, and, right. and then you lose the room. I do have uh, my name for it, but, you know, I hesitate at mentioning it because uh, people start, you might start using that and make initials for it or something, but it's, it's just what the evidence shows. Right, okay. Magnetic electrogravitic nuclear reactions. Those, Electromagnetic those nuclear Magnetic electrogravitic nuclear reactions. Electrogravitic nuclear reactions. Okay. In other words, it involves magnetism, electricity, and uh, gravity. All right. And and has this this technology been around a while? Uh, Yes, but not uh, advertised in in the Sears catalog or anything. (laughs) No, no doubt. Okay. And and, uh, what I like to stress, and what's also in my book, I show parallel evidence. Now, there is evidence of something we do know that produces the same results. Uh, And one example is tornadoes. Ah, interesting. Okay. Tell me more. Uh, You know, weird things happen with tornadoes, like um, anti-gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it it may follow an electrical signal. Um, you have the buried cable. Sometimes it follows that. <clears throat> There's and it also uh, dustifies things, uh, or it dismembers things. Um, one um, video I saw, I think it was like three years ago, in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, that. There's uh, a whole bunch of these tornadoes in the area, and they showed some flying trucks. Right, right. You remember that? Absolutely, and, I've seen the, and I remember the movie, uh, you know, the, uh, about those storm chasers. I can't remember the name of it, but... Uh... Right, but isn't that strange? It was the uh, the trailer part of the trucks. The trailer part of the truck, right. Okay. You didn't see dumpsters flying around. Okay, so where are you going with that, Dr. Wood? What is uh, that? Mean? Just looking at, you know, themes here, but wasn't it interesting that you had that, like, where does the wind come from if you're going to say wind picked it up? Where does you the start, wind come from? Yeah, if this if this trailer is sitting on the ground, what causes it, you know, it's a lot of weight. What causes it to suddenly fly upward? Right. How much wind would you need to shoot up from the ground? You know that doesn't. You know that that um, doesn't work as an explanation. First thing you do realize is an anti-gravity aspect of it. They also showed a house that had the roof removed. Uh, big screen television was intact. There was a, a bookcase with a stack of printer paper on it, and that wasn't just lodged at all. The paper wasn't fluffed up or anything. But the roof was gone. Right. Right. Are you going to tell me the wind blew the roof off? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I see what you're saying. I mean, this is not just indiscriminate. This is, there's a, a degree of precision here. Right. And that's just a natural occurrence. Now, mm-hmm. do you think uh, somebody hasn't weaponized that? It would stand to reason. Absolutely. It would stand to reason. Um, there's other evidence that, that, that you point, and there's some interesting photographs, and these are available online as well, I believe, uh, and that is... Um, vehicles, for example, that were toasted cars. What did you call them? Toasted cars. Toasted As cars. In, they're toast. They're history. Something happened to them, and you can't fix them. You gotta get another one. 
Right. In in and and uh, in some in some cases, uh, I believe there's a taxi cab and maybe a police cruiser. I can't remember if there was a police cruiser, but there was certainly a taxi cab. And it's right. Is it over on the Roosevelt over on the Roosevelt Expressway? Was it? Um, the FDR drive. FDR. I drive. don't know how it got there. Let me be say this over and over again because the my detractors like to say, oh, she claims that, blah, blah, blah. I don't know how that got there, but the damage to it is mighty strange. Uh, that the uh, polycarbonate lights are not melted, but the inside of the car is totally toasted. So if you have some rip-roaring fire going on inside the car, isn't it going to make those lights on top like they're on a hot grill? Right, right. And there are a number of vehicles around the World Trade Center tower in a similar, suffering like similar over damage. Over 1,400. 1,400 vehicles? Yep. And in some cases, uh, the vehicle, I mean, it doesn't show any external distress. I mean, it's not like it's scorched on the outside. Right. It's just weird things like that particular police car. Uh, the front door is completely toasted and the back door is pristine. Interesting. Now, again, using the tornado analogy, would that explain how those cars ended up on their roof? Well, in their, um, whatever's happening is a you know particular zone. That's when I started realizing there's some involvement of some some field effects. Field effects. Okay. Uh, like you know where I, something would happen in one place and not another. Like there's also there's a spot on that car that. Um, or one of the cars next to it, where there's a circular spot where it's pristine and around that is totally toasted. And fire doesn't work that way. You don't have something's completely scorched and something's pristine one nanometer away. You know, fire works as, you know, hot, cold, and shades of gray in between. Right, right. And this is just a pristine delineation, which is an interference uh, type of effect. Right. Uh, but the, the vast number of these cars is just incredible. They appeared to go into spontaneous combustion. Let me stress, appeared to go into spontaneous combustion. Uh, that, you know, it, it looked like fire, but if you have plastic that isn't melted and paper that isn't burning, what is it? You know, is it plasma or, or what? Right. And this, this technology, uh, that was involved. Does it leave some sort of a marker? Uh, for example, those who, who swear up and down that it was controlled demolition and they talk about nanothermite and they look for, you know, traces of it in the, in the dust and so forth. Uh, well, but does it, this technology leave a marker? Uh, well, the evidence is the marker. Now, as for controlled demolition, the, the buildings were demolished in a controlled fashion. But it was, you know, thermite is not, you know, what did thermite do to the buildings? Yeah, the, the folks who present that don't ever make that connection. Does thermite cause things to turn into dust in midair? It does not, as far as we know. <laughs> and it's also not used to control demolitions because it cannot be controlled. Thermite is a you know 19th century uh, welding material. It works through heat transfer, and heat transfer takes time. Yes, and how difficult it would be, you know, if it's controlled demolition well, using... It's not difficult, it's just sort of impossible. And uh, nanothermite, because it works, thermite works through thermal conductivity, nanothermite would be faster, so you have even less time for the thermal conductivity. And I mentioned so, why, trying to wire 110 building or 110 right. floors, and, and you said... Have you if ever you ha- 
drive along and you come to a, a blasting zone, it says blasting zone, turn off cell phones and two-way radios. I hadn't, I haven't experienced that, but tell me more about that. Well, uh, it, they could accidentally, the frequency, accidentally trip a wire that's, that's rigged for demolition. Oh, is that right? Like if they're going to blow up a side of a mountain to build a road through. Right. Uh, they wire it up, but but if you're while you're driving through the area, it says turn off cell phones and two-way radios, so you don't accidentally trip it. And you can imagine how many people would be wandering around with cell phones on Wall Street. So I can't think of a city except maybe Tokyo that has a higher density of those. That, that makes sense, right? So that could have caused it to go off prematurely. So therefore, another reason to probably rule out. Uh, you know, wiring that bill. So we're, you know, getting away from uh, what happened. And there's a particular piece of evidence that was absent on 9-11 that would be required if it was a thermite or, or a high heat type deal. And do you know what that is? No, tell me. Let me see if I can play this uh, clip. Little Manfred Mann here yeah. on the program. Okay, blinded by the light, a flash. Yeah. Is it wasn't anybody blind by the light. Nobody saw some huge, bright, you know, like uh, a giant Fourth of July sparkler. That's true. That's true. No reports of that whatsoever. So and there was unburned paper flat, fluttering all over the city. Indeed, there was hauntingly so. Um, now back to the uh, you mentioned the field effects, and we talked about the cars, the overturned cars, and. Some cars were sort of scorched and others were, were not. But so talk to me about some of the other field effects. Talk to me, for example, about weather anomalies. Well, there's uh, windows are an interesting thing. There were uh, rounded holes through window glass without any other breaks in the windows. Rounded holes. Rounded holes. And how... How do you get a glass cutter to even do that? Exactly. Now, how would, how would the directed free energy... A technology cause uh, something like that. Let, let me uh, back up. Whatever technology was used that day uh, was a technology that was demonstrated to do what was done, you know, without need to name it at all. But it turns out if you look at what it did, it can be used for good rather than evil. In other words, it can be used to uh, produce free energy. In the same way that on... Uh, um, August 6, 1945, uh, that was evidence of nuclear power plants. No, nuclear power plants did not destroy Hiroshima. But what happened at Hiroshima was evidence that that same kind of uh, technology could be used in a good way for nuclear power plants. Right, right. And that's what I mean by directed free energy technology. Yeah, it's it's a kind of a it's a it's a kind of an umbrella term, isn't it? Right, right. The uh, the technology that was used on 9/11, and the evidence presented is evidence that free energy technology exists. Right. Okay. Now I want to talk about some of the weather anomalies briefly here. Uh, we are coming up on another break, but we'll start the conversation now and continue okay. it after the break. Talk to me about hurricanes offshore at the time. Uh, we don't know uh, what it, you know, why it was or whatever, but it was mighty strange that it was not heavily announced. It was very underreported. For four days 
straight before 9-11, a Category 3 hurricane was headed straight to New York City. Now, I remember uh, in 2005 when Hurricane Rita was thought to be headed for Houston. They did a voluntary evacuation before it would become a mandatory evacuation, just in case, you know, it kept going. Right. Yeah, if, if they don't know where it's going, why aren't you warning people? Yeah, this is a this is a a, a category three. Did you say heading yeah. towards New York? Uh, yeah. And yet, for three days, and yet, no word of uh, voluntary evacuation. Nothing. Uh, we'll pick up on that point when we come back. Dr. Judy Wood, author of Where Did the Towers Go? Stay with us. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Say, have you checked out Strange Planet's full script dispensary yet? Well, you ought to. And why don't I introduce you to Colleen Forgus, our newest partner. She manages the Strange Planet dispensary and she's a nutritional therapy consultant. Colleen, welcome once again to Conspiracy Unlimited. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me today. What are we going to profile today at the Full Script Dispensary? I'm excited about this product. It's called GABA, G-A-B-A, and it's by a company called Pure Encapsulations, which a lot of people may be familiar with because it's one that doctors often use in their practices. The thing I love about GABA is I call it a natural happy pill. It's great for helping to just bring a sense of relaxation over the body. It promotes a positive mood. One or two tablets taken between meals every day can really help to just take the edge off and make us all a little bit happier. And it's natural. GABA, a natural happy pill that's available at Strange Planet's full script 
dispensary. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on that button. And we should also mention, we've been talking about the full script dispensary now for a couple of weeks, uh, Colleen. All of these uh, various products that we've mentioned, for example, GABA today. Last week we talked about Digest XYM. We've talked about the Vision Optimizer. If people want to learn more about these, tell them about the, the featured supplement notes on the full script dispensary site. That's right. If listeners go to the Full Script Dispensary, there's a page or a button called Featured Supplements, and that will be a listing of everything that we've discussed on the show, and then um, also a few other favorite products of mine I've listed there as well. So everything they'd like to, if they're, they're unsure about something that we've done in the past, just take a look there at Featured Supplements. And there will be a listing of everything we've discussed. And don't forget, once you set up your account and start ordering, you get 10% off these fabulous products. Colleen, we'll talk next week. Thank you, Richard. Bye-bye. Don't forget, all orders get free shipping during the month of September. Free shipping, that's right. And orders over $50 US can upgrade to free priority shipping. The Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. Nature Grade. Science Made. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to diagnose, cure, or treat disease. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare professional. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again and what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Dr. Judy Wood is with us. Where did the towers go? Evidence of directed free energy technology on 9-11. All right, uh, Dr. Wood, we were talking about the Category 3 hurricane, which was headed towards New York City in the days prior, uh, three days prior, uh, to the nine, four days. Four days prior, thank you, uh, prior to the, um, the 9-11 attacks. And yet, as you say, very little news coverage, no call for, despite the fact they didn't really know where this Category 3 Supposedly, was headed. If somebody, you know, doesn't know where a hurricane's going exactly, uh, you know, why wouldn't they uh, do a, a volunteer evacuation? Exactly. So um, what does that, or what may that Hurricane 3... Uh, Category 3 hurricane have to do with the directed free energy technology? Well, I have no proof of anything, but it was mighty uh, peculiar that it was there and and underreported. It was quite strange, so I started looking into, well, what is a hurricane? Going round, 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 it's sort of like a Tesla coil. And it can create field effects. So let's go look at the weather in that area. Uh, just outside of a hurricane, you still have field effects. The birds know to, to head for cover. They can feel it. Some people with arthritis can feel it coming. Right. Uh, it turns out the three major airports surrounding Manhattan all reported thunder that day on 9-11. Despite the fact there was... It was sun, sunshine Yeah, it was overhead. blue skies. And the hurricane stopped... Uh, just off the end of Long Island, the outer bands were right at Long Island. It was actually raining at Cape Cod. And then it turned around and started heading out of town that afternoon. So connect the dots for me here as best you can. Is it possible that the hurricane was uh, created 
by the the um, this directed energy device, or is it possibly it was inadvertently steered out of New York's path once the device was turned on? Or what are we well, saying where, here? <laughs> well, there's a high pressure zone moving eastward, and uh, you know the question of when they're going to meet. Uh, they met precisely at 10 o'clock over Manhattan. <laughs> You can see the, how the pressure systems uh, intermingle at that time. But instead of speculating, look at the, at the effects. You have an underreported hurricane. And if, if someone cannot control the weather, why would they have let it go unreported? So it implies someone has control of the weather. Whether they created it or it happened to be there, whatever the case is, how can you be 100% sure it's not going to make landfall or it's not going to stall out? JFK Airport is right there at sea level. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And and uh, if it hung out there any longer than it did, you would have had some major flooding from the storm surges. We're not talking about you know the wind effects so much as you have all this water building up. Right. I mean, a, a Category 3 hurricane uh, slamming into New York. I mean, no, it's not a Category 5. It's a Category 3, but still, on a, on a, on a population, it, like that would have been devastating. Actually, it was a Category 3 the day before. It was Category 1 on 9-11 because it was meeting that other storm system, but it remained a Category 1 for several days after that, even after it turned around and went off. Mm, okay. Uh, but uh, it, it was so underreported that there was a, a news thing, I think it was in 2010, where Geraldo Rivera is celebrating 40 years of reporting on hurricanes, and they show various videos, and then he says, well, except one funny thing, too bad there wasn't a hurricane on 9-11. Why would he say that? He was thinking it would have changed history if there had been. Oh, I see. Okay. But right, was, right, right. You know, here's somebody who studies hurricanes. Who is unaware of it? Interesting. Interesting. Now, for those who think that this idea of a directed energy weapon is sort of pie in the sky, the U.S. Navy is now mounting these on on their ships. I mean, they're field testing these. I think it's the USS Ponce. Um, a couple of years ago, they actually installed one of these devices uh, on a destroyer. I think it's a destroyer. So, I mean, I mean, is there any relationship between these, what they're calling these laser weapon systems and what you're talking about? No, uh, this is more of field effects. Uh, here's an example. Your cell phone and a cell phone tower. Your, your cell phone doesn't work unless it's within the range of a cell phone tower. Right. Call that the field in which it works. So you need two things. You need one field, and then you need the cell phone that operates within it. And th- that's what uh, the interaction of different fields would do. Like, uh, for example, let's say you have a static field over the whole city. Right. And then you have a radio frequency signal that you interfere within that in, in some specific place. Okay. All right. Um, the example we have of that is what John Hutchison does. I was just going to ask you about Mr. Hutchison. <laughs> yes. Yes, the Hutchison effect, uh, where uh, levitation of of heavy objects. Um, I was just I, I was just with uh, with John 
back in February at his at his uh, house in in Gold uh, Beach, Oregon. And he has kind of, well, he sold most of that um, uh, equipment that was used to, to create the Hutchison effect, I guess, to a German company. And he's sort of moved on to other things, but he's still using some of the same uh, principles. But so, yeah, tell me more about w- w- what the connection might be between the Hutchison effect and what you're talking about. Is it one well, and the I same? I call that parallel evidence. It's, it, we know uh, about John Hutchison's work. And we can, uh, you know, well, used to be able to go into his lab and watch it demonstrate, and it turns out it produces the same phenomena that we saw in 9-11. One of the things that uh, the Hutchison effect produced was... Um, Luminescence uh, without heat. Right, turning a, uh, a transmutation uh, of, of metal into, I don't know, gelatinous material... Right, jellification. Jellification, okay. Yeah, that's that's one term for it. Um, it it uh, you know also uh, uh, has anti gravity effects. Right. Um, and uh, also bends things in weird ways, like getting a solid beam and making a pretzel out of it. And we saw some of those on nine eleven. We certainly did, and uh, the levitation. Uh, that might explain how some of those 1,400 cars got flipped over? Well, not necessarily flipped over, but uh, toasted. Right. Okay. Uh, you know, some what of a field effect. Any anecdotal evidence that you've collected from people who maybe reported some of these strange field effects and, and actually witnessed them firsthand? Uh, perhaps, I don't know, maybe there, maybe someone did ooh, witness ooh, some yeah. levitation. There's one firefighter going uh, across the top floor of Tower three, and he turns around. The hallway just walked through, just disappeared. The hallway that just was right disappeared. When building two started to uh, dustify. Right. And it took out. Remember that middle chunk missing out of building three. The guy just walked across there. And it didn't collapse. It just disappeared. It just it just disappeared. Is is his term for it. Uh, then there's uh, a guy down on FDR Drive who uh, witnessed a car going into, as he described it, spontaneous combustion. But, you know, like typical people, they want to have a reason for it. So he, he thought, well, maybe a fireball rolled down from the towers and hit the car. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> as, as, as well as he could do. Um, yeah, things uh, disintegrating, turning to dust, uh Fusion of dissimilar materials. Oh, there's a good uh, piece of evidence that's, that's come to light since the last talk with you. Remember the Pope visit? The Pope visit. So uh, was that about a year ago? Right, okay. Pope Francis. Uh, it, when the Pope visited, he visited the memorial. Yes. And he visited this uh, Bible artifact that had uh, what looked like previously liquid metal resolidified in it. Right, yes. Uh, remember, one of the Hutchison things is uh, uh, liquefied metal without heating it. Well, if that were hot, the papers would have burned up. Excellent point. Excellent point. Fusion of, di- of dissimilar materials. Uh, which reminds me, of course, there were people that were claiming, and there were some videos to substantiate this, this molten metal uh, that was 
that was um, uh, pouring out and and remained molten uh, by some reports several days after the uh, the the, uh, the towers were destroyed. Well, the, that orange stuff pouring out of the building, we don't know what material it was. Was it water that was you know luminescent or what? We don't know. It was not like heated metal falling because it stayed uh, the same color all the way down. Right. Also, it poured out one window, stopped, and then poured out the next window. The window it had been pouring out of, if it's like uh, molten iron or whatever, um, that's, that's melting point is like 1535 uh, centigrade. Aluminum melts at 660 centigrade, a lot lower. Right, right. The aluminum cladding outside that window was not melted. Ah, interesting. <laughs> So if you, if you observe the evidence, instead of being goal-oriented for, you know, having a, an outcome that you want and then cherry-picking data to support that, but if you really want to know what happened, the evidence will tell you. And that is precisely what you will walk through when you join us here in Toronto yes. on Sunday, September the 11th at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium from 1 to 4 p.m., and um, again, I'd, I'd like to add why that is. This is so important. Please it's do. Vital. This isn't a case of just you know who did it or or like what technology was used. No, he who controls the energy does control the people, but he who controls their perception controls everything. And it's all about perception management. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. If, if well it wasn't, put. Uh, airplanes running into buildings. Oh, maybe Bin Laden put thermite in the building. You know, still everything else is the same. Right, right. But this is a whole different ball of wax. And this is something <laughs> you got that right. You have trying that to, right. Trying to hide from, from the public. Dr. Wood, thank you for spending an hour with us this evening. Well, great. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for being interested in looking at facts. Where did the towers go? Evidence of directed free energy technology... <laughs> Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back to tell you a little bit about the next installment of Conspiracy Unlimited. People are starting to finally discover my strange planet shop, and they are loving the gear. The Mayan calendar design seems to be very popular right now, and it's beautiful if I do say so myself. Rick Forgus from Atomic Werewolf Studios in Phoenix has done an absolutely amazing job with all of the designs. The Nazca Lines design is also fantastic, but I think my favorite right now is the Time to Redefine Reality t-shirt. But there's so much more than tees. There's mugs and leggings and tote bags and sweatshirts and hoodies and new designs and products arriving every week. You've got to check it out. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the Strange Planet Shop button at the bottom of the page. Strangeplanet.ca. It's a strange planet. Grab the gear. Take the journey. Coming up tomorrow on Conspiracy Unlimited in episode 281. Andrew Collins, the co-discoverer of a massive cave complex beneath the Giza Plateau, discusses hybrid humans, Gobekli Tepe, and the genesis of the giants of ancient America.
I mean, obviously, the Denisovans themselves probably left the scene by about, well, officially it's 45,000 years ago, but, you know, new evidence seems to suggest some of them may have hung on until around 15,000 years ago. And that's almost up to the time of the cataclysm. But I think what's more important is to remember that they had hybrid. There were people walking around that were mostly modern human, but with a percentage of Denisovan DNA. Now, in modern day contacts, that's no more than five to six percent, but it could have been as much as 10 percent in 15, 20, 30,000 years ago. That would have made them even more Denisovan. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats, we need. We need constant petting. <laughs>